0: Well, hey, hey, and welcome to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. Today's episode, honestly, is going to be a cracker. I'm joined by Ben Leonard. Ben is the founder of Beast Gear, a fitness brand that he founded and built to multiple seven figures on Amazon in recent years, and then sold the business to Thrasio. Thrasio, one of the big aggregators in the space, they've raised billions of dollars in funding, continuing to buy up Amazon brands like yours and mine, and so to hear Ben and his journey going through that process is super, super insightful. We talk about how he started, how he scaled, how he exited, what the the emotions were like on deadline day, and uh, you know, just a crazy, crazy story. So, well worth a listen. And then we talked more about how he's moved into helping other sellers also sell their business. He started a brokerage, and uh, we talked about the future of the space, what it looks like, multiples, and how to prepare your business for sale. And honestly, we just kind of had an open and candid conversation. I feel like these podcasts is me getting the opportunity just to have questions and conversations with people about stuff that I find fascinating. And I'm really hoping that you also found it fascinating as we. Uh, kind of shoot the breeze in this episode about the market, the space, where it's going, what our predictions are, and a thoroughly enjoyable conversation, and I'm sure you're going to enjoy it too. So stick around to the end. It's going to be a great episode. Let's get into it. Awesome. Well, welcome to another episode of the Brand Builder Show. I am uh, super glad to have Ben with me today. Great name, by the way, and uh, great to have you on the show. Excited for all the things we're going to be talking about today. Thanks for coming on, Ben.
1: Good to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, that's exciting. A uh, fellow Brit, a fellow Ben, it's, uh, it's going to be a good day. And so uh, we're going to talk loads about your journey, where you've been from, uh, where you've come from, what you're up to now. And, uh, you know, let, let's start at the beginning, hey, because you are an Amazon seller. Um, by uh, by In the early days, it's what you kind of uh, got cut your teeth on. It's what you got in, you into this business. So uh, talk to us a little bit about that journey.
1: Sure, yeah. Um, my background into e-commerce uh, or my journey into e-commerce is – not conventional. Um, I'm a scientist originally. Uh, I was uh, working as an environmental advisor in the oil and gas industry. I was the the token tree hugger telling oil guys that they couldn't throw chemicals in the sea. And in early 2016, I got sick uh, for the third time with a heart condition. And I'm better now, but um, I got signed off work and I had to take a significant period of recovery and stopped doing my fitness hobbies. So no more boxing, no more CrossFit, no more lifting weights and running around like a maniac whilst I got better. And I needed something to do to occupy my mind. And my girlfriend, now wife, was studying, so she was busy and she encouraged me with this idea I'd had to start a fitness brand. And I had no idea at that point that I had any kind of entrepreneurial spark in me or business acumen. Um, But what I did know was I had an idea. And I was able to kind of leverage my scientific training where we kind of, you have a hypothesis, you test it, you see what happens, you tweak something and then you test Mm -hmm. again. And that helped me to kind of learn by doing, but in a kind of a, quite a guided kind of way. And so, yep, I started the fitness brand, which was called Beast Gear. It turned out I was pretty good at it. So um, I quit my job eventually after about 18 months of of, uh, owning that business Went full-time, scaled it up some more, and eventually, by uh, sort of late 2019, we were doing about uh, £4 million or $6 million, I guess, in, in sales, and I, I sold the brand at that point. And then uh, now, now I am where I am now, which was, is helping other people to do the same thing and still building my own brand. So slightly unconventional route to where I am now, but um, an enjoyable one nonetheless. Yeah, nice.
0: No, that's, that's an amazing overview. Let's um, drill down on that a bit, if, if we can. Obviously, that was a pretty um yeah amazing story because people would listen to that and think wow you know four million in sales a year six million dollars a year that's uh, that's pretty impressive and in a short period of time but there would have been some key things you did along the way um what did you did you start with the big budget how was the kind of the, the starting phase for you
1: no i didn't really have any money um i was fortunate <laughs> because I, I was able to borrow a bit of cash from my dad uh not a huge amount so for context uh the brand was called beast gear and i, I came oh. up with that because at the end of a CrossFit training session at one point, probably two years before I even started the brand. Um, uh, a friend at the training said to me, oh, we beasted it today. And I remember saying, we beasted it. Beast, beast, beast gear. That'd be a cool name for a fitness brand. And then I yeah, forgot yeah. all about it. It wasn't until a couple of years later, there I am with the heart problem, can't train, sadly tidying out my gym bag, that I looked at my kit and I thought, I could do a better job of this oh yeah, I had that idea for a fitness brand named Beast Gear. Well, why didn't I do that? And so the first product, it was the classic thing where you scratch your own itch, you solve your own problem. I was disappointed with the quality of my skipping rope that I was using in my boxing training and my CrossFit training. So I decided to develop a better one. So the first product was called the Beast Rope. And many products in the Beast Gear range were called the Beast XYZ, the Beast mm-hmm. whatever. And I ordered... After I'd worked with a manufacturer to improve certain components and take certain components from from different ropes and and, and develop an overall better product, I placed an order for 500 of these ropes from my manufacturer. And I borrowed £2,500-ish from my dad. To give you a bit of context, the last order that I was responsible for before I sold the business in late 2019 was for a quarter of a million of those beast ropes. And that's not including the other ropes and the other products that we did just on that product. So it, the, the growth was nuts. Um, that's,
0: that's, uni- so, that's units, not dollars.
1: That's units. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So the first order was 500, the last order was a quarter of a million and you know, it's, it's even grown since I sold it. So yeah, I borrowed two and a half grand from my dad and I think over the next, um, Probably twelve months, I borrowed probably about another seven or eight uh, eventually I, I got the business to a point where I could a pay myself and B pay him back so I was fortunate in that sense that uh, I was able to to you know use a use a, a family loan to get me going. Mm. Uh, not everyone has access to that and I recognize that you know that that was fortunate.
0: Did you put any more money in? Throughout the the period, Did you have to get oh, more yeah, comfortable. Yeah, oh yeah,
1: So, so when I I had to put in uh, various chunks of my own money, um, ne- at any you know, n- it never amounted to more than probably over the course of the whole business, ten or fifteen k. Because I was able to quickly get the business profitable and put the profit straight back into into the business. Yeah. And yeah. at some point, uh, probably twelve months in, I opened my. So we were selling on Amazon and on our own website, which was built on the mm-hmm. Shopify platform. Yeah. And about 12 months in, I opened my Stellar Central account and uh, I saw a little message telling me that I'd qualified for an Amazon loan. <laughs> and upon looking into the details, I discovered that the, uh, the interest rate was phenomenally low and it seemed like a win-win. Um, Amazon knew that I could afford to pay this back because they had access to my data, obviously. And they knew that to grow my business and make more money for them, I needed money. And so, yeah, I took Amazon loans and I, I kept taking Amazon loans. Actually, every time I paid it back, they'd offer me a much bigger one and it helped me scale my business. So that was a very fortunate way that I was able to get access to growth capital.
0: No, that's good. That's good. Was there a particular point you remember in the business where you felt like, OK, I've I've, I've got something I could sell here? Was it like a, a moment you're like, wow, I could build something big? Uh, yeah. At what point did yeah. that begin to
1: i guess there were several and each one was of like on a different sort of uh, scale so mm-hmm. i remember shortly after i launched so context for listeners right don't go and break terms of service this was 2016. when i started <laughs> you were still allowed to get reviews in exchange for a discount remember back in yeah. the day everybody at the bottom of their reviews on amazon it would say i received this product in exchange for a discount and yeah. here's my review here's my honest review <laughs> and mm. I remember I'd get, so I was working my day job, I, you know, after a period of time, I was back at work, uh, having gotten a lot better from my heart thing and uh, working, going to work and coming home. And uh, I'd say to, to, to Katie, my wife, I'd say, um, sold, sold five units today, sold five skipping ropes today. And she said, and how many of them were real sales and how many of them were friends? I'd say, oh, they were all friends. <laughs> and then the next day, you know, I sold five, I sold five or I sold six and how many were friends? And how many were, real? oh, well, two were real, you know? And I remember getting to a point where I'd come home and I'd be like, Katie, 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 I did 15 ropes today. And she's like, and how many were real and how many were friends? They were all real. And at this point, I was like, I am onto something. So that was probably the first one. And I don't think, you know, it's funny like that, you're not making big bucks at that point, but it's incredibly exciting. Mm. Strangers right. who don't know me want to buy myself. And they think yeah. it's good and they're leaving good reviews. That is an incredible feeling. It's amazing. Yeah. And then I guess that, you know, the next big turning point was when when, when I hit a hundred grand in sales and then half a million and then a million, you know, and then so on and so forth. And, um, it's just a matter of scale at that point.
0: Yeah. That's incredibly exciting. Did, um, how many SKUs did you have in the end when you sold? Uh,
1: if we don't include child variations, so we should just include products, uh, somewhere between 10 and 15, I would imagine. And then you add on child variations on that and you're in the, you're in the low twenties. And I don't think yeah. anybody, depending on what your goals are, I think anywhere from five to 25 SKUs is the sweet spot. Yeah, yeah, I think yeah. for building a particularly for building a sellable brand.
0: Yeah. talk to us about that. You, you mentioned goals. Was it something that you were setting a goal for for a period of time, or was it just something that kind of took you by surprise?
1: I have to be honest, it wasn't to begin with, yeah. um, because like I said, it was, a, it was a distraction. it was a hobby. It just turned out that I was pretty good at it. Mm -hmm. but there came a time, late 2018, early 2019, that I came to realize, I'd always planned, even when it was a hobby, I knew that if it did grow arms and legs, I couldn't do it all on my own. I'd need to outsource and automate to make this thing um, scalable and sustainable, particularly as I was working a day job. But what I hadn't thought about at that point was an exit. It was late 2018 or early 2019 that I became aware that buying and selling e-commerce businesses was starting to become a bit more mainstream. And I'd heard whispers of significant money being raised to buy businesses in the e-commerce space. And after doing some, you know, back of an envelope calculations, I came to realize, whoa, this could be worth life-changing money here. And that was the point at which I started to explore a sale, but I hadn't thought about it seriously until we were, you know, almost three years in.
0: Yeah. And what about, you mentioned the, the transition you talked about, you were still working a day job there. What was it that you saw in it that gave you the confidence to step out? And uh, aside from obviously the, just the, the money, um, you know, what was it that a transitionary period from part-time seller to full-time seller?
1: I was incredibly busy. I was running around like a headless chicken. Whereas previously I'd been doing the business on my evenings and weekends, I now knew that in order to keep on top of the business, I was going to have to look after it during times that I should have been working and I couldn't do that. So I needed to quit my job and I was becoming aware that I had built, not just a business selling stuff on Amazon. And I don't, I'd intended to do it this way, right? I'd never even knew that you could sell on Amazon. Amazon to me was just a sales channel, right? It wasn't until after I would started developing the first product that I started to think about where am I going to sell it? I was all about building a brand Mm. and I had built a brand. I developed like a cult like following for the brand. Our Instagram was blowing up. People were Googling us. People were finding us in gyms and then going and searching it out online and buying it on our website or on Amazon. We were, I'd built a legitimate brand and I knew that the flywheel was really starting to move but in order to keep it going and get that momentum going, something had to give and it was my, my day job. And so I approached my boss who knew I was doing this. I told her I was doing this because I didn't want her to find out about it and think that I had some kind of conflict of interest. And she was always incredibly supportive because it was entirely unrelated to my day job. And she thought it was cool. And I said to her, look, I need to give this a go. And she said, this is amazing. Go do it. But um, don't quit. I will give you a year's sabbatical. And if it all goes tits up, you can have your job back. But hopefully we'll never see you again. Wow. so best Incredible. boss in the world, right? That's safety yeah, yeah. a lot.
0: It's interesting because yeah, a lot of people now, obviously the world of selling on Amazon has become so popular that people get into it to sell on Amazon, but it's a bit different for you, right? You, you had the products, you had the brand just turns out that Amazon was a great place to sell them.
1: I think getting into it to sell on Amazon is a mistake and harks back to the gold rush days of 2014 to you know 16 or 17, when it was all about selling stuff. On Amazon mm, yeah and you could have done that and you kind of still can do that but when you do that you you are not building a business you are mm. building a job
0: mm. and
1: there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want but when you build a job the moment you stop working it stops. it stops making money right mm. the moment you turn the tap off the bath stops getting filled up Yeah, and you that's not the way to build a sustainable asset that you can sell that's not To be honest, that's not real big boy business. Yeah. That's making a quick buck on the internet.
0: And you obviously have have proven that in what you've done in terms of when you obviously exited exited the business. Talk to us a little bit about that. What uh, what did that feel like? You know, just there's a lot of people that would be listening to this that would one day hope to sell a business. There's got to be so much emotion involved, right? Can you uh, encapsulate that in words or...? (laughs)
1: Yeah, emotion is a is an important word, I think, um, and that's why it's important to try and not let emotion come into it. You know, you need to try and iron that out, because that prevents you from making good decisions. Um, so, I sold, I came to the, to the decision to sell in probably February or March 2019. The deal was done Halloween 2019, so we've, it's just over two years now since I sold. And... It was a, an intense time, a stressful time, an exciting time, and a worrying time. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of emotions going into it. Um, unfortunately, so I used a broker, and the broker I used could have been a lot better. But the silver lining is that that gave me the impetus to then start a better brokerage. And so during the time that I was working with that broker and I was getting more and more anxious about the things that were going wrong and could still go wrong, uh, the the good news is that I was continuing to grow the business. So the value of the business was getting higher all the time. Mm. Because of these delays, the really, really important part when the potential buyer was going through their due diligence and I was having calls with people in all sorts of different departments with them, managed to coincide with a four-week inter-railing trip around Northern Italy with me, my wife, and our four-month-old baby. So we would be pounding the streets of Venice by day, and by night in our tiny budget hotel, I would be on Zoom calls trying to impress people with this potential buyer for my business. <laughs> so I added on an extra layer of stress, or I didn't add on, but circumstances added on an extra layer of stress there. But you're right, you hit the nail on the head with the word emotion, it's incredibly emotional. And that's why when you are going through a sale process, you need to make sure that you have a buffer between you and the situation in the form of experts to help you through it, whether that's a broker or a legal, well, and a legal representative to iron out that emotion to help you to take a step back, take a sip of tea, take a deep breath, and take the emotion out of it so that you can be wise.
0: Yeah, for sure, for sure. And then um, your situation. Obviously, you mentioned you use a broker. Did you end up selling to a private buyer or private equity? What, what did you sell? To yeah, you?
1: so I can talk about this publicly because the buyer uses me in their PR, um, and this is. So this I was going to say, known. yeah. Obviously, don't um, answer anything you yeah, don't want to. No, right? it's cool. I won't be breaching any any anything. Um, I can't name the broker. Um, so I approached a broker. Uh, the reason I approached, I approached several brokers. The reason I settled on the broker that I settled with. And you got to remember, this is early 2019 that I approached them. The whole situation with regards to mergers and acquisitions in e-commerce has changed completely since then. Mm. I approached them and in the end, I chose them because a friend recommended them. A friend had sold a business to them. Now with the benefit of hindsight, that was a mistake because my friend that sold their business with them sold a much, much smaller business, which was more appropriate to go to a private buyer, which is indeed who he sold to. And this broker was more appropriate for that probably, however, they weren't great, their process was pretty poor. They were not experienced on the e-commerce side in the sense that they weren't e-commerce business owners or brand builders. And the, the chap handling my sale wasn't a chartered accountant and wasn't even particularly experienced in M&A. They had essentially been trained by the brokerage in how to pull down reports from Amazon and Shopify, slap them in a Google sheet and take the average multiple they'd applied to businesses they'd sold in the last several months and apply it to mine. Pretty poor. And a very lengthy, slow process for no real good reason. And upon being handed the valuation they'd come up with, I said, that just doesn't look right. Me knowing my numbers and even applying the multiple you've applied, the numbers don't add up. You've undervalued the, bu- the business here by about 30%. So I showed it to my accountant, Allison, who just so happens to have about 20 years mergers and acquisitions experience, or more than. And she went through the numbers and, and found a, a significant error and and they were ready to go. This was just me signing off on it before we went to market, right? So they, they hadn't caught this error. No one no one there had. The error was, it wasn't this, but it was akin to this. It was a, the equivalent of a decimal point in the wrong place. You know, It was really poor. And it would have undervalued the business by about 30%. So as a result, I negotiated down their commission, which was the silver lining. And... The business was eventually sold to Thracio. I can tell you that. So Thracio, who for people who don't know, people who've been living in a cave, uh, Thracio <laughs> came into existence in September two thousand and eighteen. They were the first um, of the new model of e-commerce aggregators or e-commerce roll-ups. Essentially, raising money from investors in order to roll up e-commerce businesses, primarily those selling on Amazon. And I believe my sale to them was the their first British sale, I think, and possibly the second European sale. And since then, you know, probably a hundred or more aggregators have come to exist with a very similar model to them. Mm. So, um, yeah, that, that's what happened.
0: Awesome. So uh, amazing story, obviously, and, uh, you know, crazy, uh, emotional sort of time period. Um, You obviously employed the broker, went through the sale. What was that day like when it finally sold? Talk us through, you know, I'm sure you remember the day.
1: (laughs) Yeah, I could tell you about the day. It was insane. It was Halloween 2019. And the deal needed to be done by midnight UK time. It it had to be done by then. Otherwise, it was going to slip. And because basically when a buyer, particularly this type of buyer is valuing a business, they've run all the sums through their, uh, their, their, their financial, uh, systems and presented the case for buying it to their investors and their, their acquisitions board to make the decision. And so even if it slips by a day, technically that data is then invalid. And they have to go either do it all again or move on to the next business and forget all about you. So we needed to get this done wow. and. Just like uh, a student with a deadline for their coursework, these things, not always, but often, can go on to deadline day. Um, the deal was done at four minutes to midnight because I was selling to an American buyer who hadn't bought a British business before and some lawyers were getting a little confused about tax, UK tax. And so at you know half past 11 at night, you've got me, My lawyer, their lawyers, um, their, my broker, people from them all on on our call trying to explain this stuff is entirely normal. There's nothing to worry about. Just sign. And finally at four minutes to midnight, the deal was done. So yeah, that was, that was, that was the most stressful. It was the next day, me and my wife and our little girl went out for burgers (laughs) and uh, a short time later, the first chunk of money hit my bank account. And, uh, I took a screenshot <laughs> of course. and yeah, it was, it was, uh, it was an, it was insane. It was a, a weird feeling, um, because I knew now that, um, if I wanted, I could retire, but that would be incredibly boring. Mm. Um, but we were, you know, that goal of take some serious money off the table, set ourselves up, be financially secure, look out for my family was achieved. So yeah, it was a, it was a. A, a surreal but a great feeling and a one of huge sigh of relief because it is an intense process. It's nothing to worry about for anyone that's thinking about doing this or is doing this. It's just intense, right? The buyer is going to ask mm. you a lot of questions and they're going to during their due diligence process, they're going to turn over every stone because they're going to hand over quite a lot of money. So quite rightly, they need to know everything there is to know about the business. And so that mm. that was one of the takeaways from the process I went through, right? My broker didn't get me ready for that at all. They just said, this is yeah. going to happen, but they didn't tell me anything about how to prepare for it. So yeah. now what, well, one of the things we do is before a, a seller is even in due diligence with a potential buyer, we have them, uh, getting everything neat and tidy with a ribbon on top for the due diligence process so that the business is in great shape. And they can just hand it straight over. Nice. And the potential buyer is then, well, a thoroughly impressed B, their life is much easier. See if they do find anything they don't like, it's a Sweeter pill to swallow because their life has been much easier. and then D, if you think about it this way, if if Bob in um, Bob in acquisitions has to present this business to the board who decide on the on the acquisition you know to go or not go, they're going to be a hell of a lot more impressed when they see how slick everything is you have compared to a business that hasn't been prepared for this by their broker. So it makes Bob's, Bob's life a lot easier and he looks a lot better as well. So, you know, he's happy too.
0: It'd be great to obviously just talk a bit more about what you're doing sort of from the brokerage side and how you're setting people up with that and how people can set themselves up for the best, uh, you know, resolution possible. Um, quickly, before we do get onto that, from your perspective then, like just personally having sold the business, what were your thoughts? You said, you know, I could retire, um, you know, could walk away from it all. What is it that's kind of brought you back uh, to the e-commerce space? You obviously have a, you know, a lot of hope
1: for it. Yeah, um, so I kind of, through b gear I discovered an entrepreneurial spark that I didn't know I have. And I still feel like I need to burn through that before I get back mm. to some other interests I have. Like, I think probably I'm going to be an entrepreneur for about 10 years or maybe, yeah, so another 8, eight 9, 10 years. And then I'm going to get back into my passion of conservation and apply some entrepreneurial spirit to conservation charities and such like who are full of great people but mostly academics who don't really get a lot done and they need some entrepreneurial spirit and so my motivation for continuing in this kind of e-commerce space is i've discovered that i love it and i discovered that i know how to build a brand and make it into something valuable that i can sell and i enjoy building brands and the entrepreneur inside of me saw the gap in the market for a better brokerage experience and more and more every day I was getting disappointed at the negative experiences sellers were having with poor brokers or selling directly without getting proper representation and getting ripped off and selling the business for peanuts. So that was my motivation for doing that. And then the reason I'm still building brands apart from enjoying it is I kind of need to like, I can't look our clients in the eye and say, Oh, I understand what it's like to be in your shoes. Cause I owned a, I owned an e-commerce business, but I sold it in 2019. Mm-hmm. that's not good enough because the industry has moved on. I mean, just look at everything that's happened in 2021 with inventory issues and supply chain issues and terms of service changes on Amazon, et cetera. I, I still need to understand what it is like to be in that position so that I can help our clients. So that's kind of why, you know, that's several reasons why I'm still doing what I'm doing. And, and yeah, I, I enjoy it.
0: So you're still actively involved in brands that are on Amazon?
1: It will, uh, I will be. Uh, the, the brand I'm developing now... Um, so I guess this is kind of an interesting rabbit hole to kind of go down. Um, I'm developing several brands. Uh, I only have a particular amount of capacity. So there's one in particular that's my focus now, and it's a parent and baby brand. And I'm partnering on that because a key, a key lesson I've learned is to partner with somebody who has strengths which you don't have and you have strengths they don't have. So I'm partnering on that. And the difference with that is when I started Beast Gear, I sourced 500 skipping ropes from China for like, you know, three or four dollars per unit this time I've spent close to twenty thousand pounds working with a product designer to develop a new product from scratch and I'm going to be sourcing it from somewhere that's not China for like thirty dollars a unit so it's a much higher barrier to entry which I like because there's much less competition I'm basically going to be competing with big corporates and big corporates have huge resources, but what they can't do is tell a story and they mm-hmm. can't be a, a real authentic person. And so I'll be the face of the brand like I was with B-Scare. And I'll be explaining, look, I'm a dad. I saw this problem with, this, uh, with these products in the baby market and, and I've improved on them and here's how I've done it. And people will buy that because people buy from people. And I don't need a huge slice of the, the market, right? The baby market is worth gazillions, and mm-hmm. it's an evergreen market with babies born every day. So I just need a tiny percentage of that, and we're, we're you know we're good to go. So we'll be selling on Amazon um, because you kind of have to. Like, why would you not? Uh, it's full of yeah. um, you know billions of people uh, all in shopping mode with their credit card already loaded into their account, and they just click buy now. And we'll also be selling on our own website. And a a potential option for us is to go into. Uh, bricks and mortar retail as well, like not our own shop, like other shops, wholesale.
0: Yeah, yeah, nice. So, as a new uh, business owner with that venture, are you going into it with the mindset of, I'm going to sell this one day?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 absolutely. So, whereas with Beast Gear, I went into it with a, a completely different mindset and flipped, you know, with some time remaining to thinking. Right, I need to get this set up to sell. We're building this to sell from the start. Um, and actually, that's a good book that people should read, "Built to Sell" by a guy called mm. John Warrello. It's a great book. Yeah, it's good. Um, a really great book and another one kind of similar, but not quite the same as classic. The E-Myth Revisited by Michael E. Gerber. Mm. Cause even if you don't want to sell your business, if you get it set up so that you can sell it, then the happy side effect is it becomes easier and more efficient to run and it will scale up better anyway. Yeah. And in any case, I would argue that one day there has to be an end game and that's probably going to be an exit. Even if you can't see it right now, that's probably what's going to happen in the future one day with your business.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And so I suppose it kind of answers my question in terms of if, if you're talking to a new seller today that's never run a business before, you know, you still think they should be thinking, well, one day I'm going to sell this and building it with that in mind.
1: Yes, but in an ideal world, I understand that it's not possible to do that because, mm-hmm. you know, when you're first starting out, you know, you're you're riding the rocket ship, it's blasting off into orbit, it's incredibly exciting, it's rattling around like crazy you don't really have the headspace to be thinking about a sale because you're trying to get launched, right? But once you're in orbit and you're taken over and you've unbuckled your seatbelt and you take a a moment to to take a deep breath, then you need to start making sure that your ducks are are in a row so that you don't wake up one day and say, I want to sell my business and you have to go through all this pain of getting it sorted out. You can wake up one day and say, right, I want to explore selling my business and you're in good shape. So that means your business, has always from the very start or very close to the early start has excellent record keeping documentation Mm -hmm. with regards to your systems and processes, you got lots of intellectual property to protect your business, you are building a defensible brand and not just selling stuff. Um, The business is transferable, so it doesn't rely on you, it could Mm -hmm. be passed on to to somebody else or another organisation. you've got diverse sales channels so you're not just selling on amazon or just on your own website you might be diverse in terms of markets so you're in more than one country you've got uh, a reasonable number of SKUs, so that if one or two go down you're not in a total pickle and you've got a diverse range of traffic sources so if a facebook ads account gets shut down you're not in a pickle these are all types of things to think about you know together with obvious ones like Having great suppliers who are, you know, audited and comply with all the right kind of regulations and aren't using child labor. Mm. Um, You know, all kinds of things that you'd expect a a potential buyer to look at when they're considering whether they're going to buy your business.
0: And when you're dealing with your clients at the moment that are in this phase, you know, they've got to that stage, the revenue, uh, the SKUs, the diversification you talked about. Is there, uh, there's a lot of talk about multiples, right, in the the space and you should be aiming for this, you should be aiming for that. Have you got sort of targets in mind that you're shooting for or is it very flexible? What are your thoughts on that?
1: Well, on multiples? Yeah. So multiples in e-commerce uh, range from anywhere from about two to seven. Mm-hmm. And uh, generally speaking, we're, we're looking at between four and five and a half at the moment. Um, you'll hear talk from aggregators who are buying businesses directly talking about, you know, three. Um, that, that's a deliberate lie that they're telling in public domain to set low expectations so they can take your business from you for nothing. Um, but really, a, a, a multiple right now that we're seeing in e-commerce is between sort of, you know, four and five and a half. But it it really depends, you know, Um, every business is different. So a business which is doing, um, you know, a hundred K in, in seller's discretionary earnings, which is a bit like profit. And it's what we use when we're valuing the business. It's two years old. It's it's diversified. It's growing. You're probably looking at three and a half to four. But if you're doing 500,000 with tons of Amazon off Amazon sales, uh, lots of IP, massive growth, well, diversified five years old, you're probably more looking at more like, you know, five and a half to six and a half. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it, it, it depends. Um, is what I'm saying? A lot of people get their hopes up. They'll come to me with a very, very teeny tiny business, very little diversity and nothing particularly special about it. Like it's a bit of a me too business, which Mm -hmm. I could start tomorrow and they want me to tell them that I can tell it, sell it for five X. I'm like, sorry, I can sell this for two to two and a half. Um, that's that's the reality the market doesn't lie
0: yeah okay And, and talk to us a bit about econ brokers then obviously because that's obviously what's become your big focus now uh talk to us about the start of that you mentioned you know the the passion behind starting it because of your poor experience but how's that first um you know season of that business gone
1: yeah i mean we're busy as as anything really because uh there's so much excitement right now for selling in in this space um so, yeah, you know, Alison and I combined our skill sets, me on the e-commerce side, understanding what it's like to build a brand, uh, whether it's, uh, you know, developing products or, you know, email marketing and chatbots. And Alison on the financial side, she's a chartered accountant and she's got over 20 years mergers and acquisitions experience. And so by combining those skill sets, we can kind of offer a better service for sellers. So our job basically is to um, maximize the value of the business by looking for opportunities when we do a deeper analysis on the financials and the operations to adjust the numbers all legitimately, of course, to represent what the true value of the business will be on day zero, that a new buyer buys it and then market that business to a pool of the right buyers such that in an ideal world, when we take it to market, we have a competitive environment with several buyers submitting an offer and the buyers might be an e-commerce aggregator, but we cast a wider net to make sure we bring other buyers to the table, because there are some pretty lazy organizations out there who simply fire off an email to 100 aggregators and see who wants to buy the business. A good broker needs to be casting a wider net, so they might find a family office or a private individual or a competitor who is on Amazon or not on Amazon and wants to get on Amazon or a competitor from another part of the world who wants to get a foothold where you are or or, uh, big boy private equity, more traditional private equity. And so, yeah, then we bring multiple buyers to the table. And the next part of the job is to sell the business for the best possible deal and the right deal structure. And this is where it's really important that you have legal representation. And so we connect sellers with our partner, um, attorneys and solicitors who help thrash out the deal so that sellers are protected. For instance, Mm -hmm. so that if there's an earnout. Um, there are clauses in that deal, which means that the seller will still get their payment after a year or two, if the new owner doesn't run the business properly, for instance, all that kind of good stuff. Yeah, And so, you know, we're kind of plugging a gap. We're, we're not flippers. You know, there are flipper style brokers out there. We would never dream of flipping a business. We, you know, we carefully sell a business. Um, we, we offer kind of a more thorough and bespoke service to kind of try and truly understand somebody's business and, uh, sell it in the way that it's right for them. So for instance, some people will come to us and they'll say, what's my business worth? We'll say it's worth half a million and they'll say, ah, didn't want to sell it for less than a million. And we'll say, haven't got a snowball's chance in hell of selling this for a million because ABC or we'll say you can sell it for a million. These are the things you need to do and it's going to take you this long off you go or We might actually work with them to sort of mentor them on a route to exit, helping them knock down those dominoes that they need to knock down, keeping a constant track on what the business is worth. And then when they're ready, we pull the trigger and we we go to market. So we're all about building relationships and playing the long Mm -hmm. game. And if there's somebody that we can't help, um, we'll point them in the right direction, Um, whether that's to another broker um, or to an investment bank or an agency to help them grow more. Mm -hmm. You know, we, we talk with a lot of people and we say, you know, because people are panicking, right? They think there's a bubble. They think there's a bubble and they think they need to sell now. Oh my God, all this money's been raised. It's gonna burst. I have to sell now. Yeah. And I so often I say to people, no, that's crazy talk. That's what the aggregators want you to believe. Yep. They want to buy your business now for cheap so they can experience the growth that you could experience. And I say to them, look, these are some of the things you can go and do. And actually in nine, 12, 18 months time, you will still be able to sell your business because bubble or not, if you have a great business, there will be a buyer for it. And actually the circumstances for selling it could be a lot better in the not too distant future because probably 80% of the current e-commerce aggregators are going to die either because they're just going to fail or they're going to get swallowed up by bigger ones. And when that happens, there's going to be a huge gap. And that gap is going to be filled by real. Brand building private equity who've been sitting on their hands for the last two years waiting to see what happens. And these guys have been running brands for decades, right? Yeah. And when they come in, this whole Wild West economy that we're seeing in mergers and acquisitions in e-commerce is going to mature and the process is going to mature. And so instead of, you know, all these uh, kind of slightly dodgy direct approaches and poor offers, they're going to be completely um, used to sellers going mm-hmm. through a real process to maximize the value of their business and get the right deal so people don't need to panic and sell now they need to um sell at the right time for them we're all about helping people do that
0: yeah that's awesome that's awesome so you don't see in the next year or two multiples coming down drastically
1: nope nope um so a recent there was a survey released recently which went kind of viral in the e-commerce space um and it was just a survey with a pretty small sample size right It wasn't an in-depth study. There was no statistics run on this. And some aggregators were saying multiples are going to go up. Some aggregators were saying multiples are going to go down. Some were saying they're going to go up, then down. Some said they're going to go down, then up. And I say, kind of don't really listen to what they're telling you in that. And besides, that data is out of date. Okay, the data was from June. What I think is going to happen is multiples will probably creep up a little bit from where they are now and stabilize, I think. Particularly as more and more... You see, what happened was this. When Thrasio came in in 2018, they were first to market and they were basically buying cash flow. They wanted to buy businesses at the bottom for as little as they possibly could, roll them up and flip them. And that's what the model that everybody has tried to copy. What all these aggregators understood was how to raise money, but what they didn't understand was how to operate brands. And they thought it would be a lot easier than it has been. They thought that because Amazon is growing at X percent per year, they can just buy these brands, put some VAs in the Philippines on customer service, and it'll be fine. What they've discovered is that that's not possible. And actually, these brands are built by hardworking entrepreneurs who put in a lot of time and effort and blood, sweat and tears to operate these brands. And so now, the newer aggregators are only able to get investment from investors if they can demonstrate that they actually have the operational chops. And so what this means is that the aggregators who are going to die, because they don't have the operational chops, won't exist. And those who will exist, combined with the the kind of big-boy private equity that I mentioned, who do have the operational capability, will back themselves more to be able to run these brands. And therefore they'll be happy, happier to pay a higher price. Plus there's so much more competition now. Sellers have their pick of aggregators, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you're selling, if you've got a pretty rubbish me too brand, then multiples won't go up me Too business and yeah. multiples will not be going up for you. But if you have built a legitimate brand that you could sell, whether you're selling to an aggregator or, or, you know, a more traditional buyer then multiples will be at a decent level. And we're, we're now seeing, like I said, we're now seeing multiples getting higher and, you know, more akin to traditional business multiples rather than the, you know, 2, 3x that we saw a couple of years ago.
0: When you um, send someone away, you mentioned about sending them away, hey, go work on this, this and this to get to where you want to be. What are the most common things that you tell them to work on?
1: Improve their intellectual property position, right? Get trademarks done. Not just where they're selling, but where they're manufacturing and any other territory that they may want to sell in the future or a new owner might want to sell expand internationally. Mm -hmm. So if you're selling in the UK, get into Europe, if you're selling in the US, get into the UK and vice versa. If you're in the US to get onto Walmart, for instance, to uh, make sure that you have a bit of diversity in your SKU can, if you've only got two products and one of them goes down, then you're in trouble. To work on building your true brand assets, your off Amazon assets, your social media, your email list, the proportion of sales going through your own website, for instance. All of these things about what truly makes a brand, it's it's all about brand. It's not Mm -hmm. about an Amazon account. Amazon is a sales channel. And so I talk to people all the time who are like, I want to sell my Amazon business. And I'm like, stop. (laughs) You don't own Amazon. Jeff Bezos has an Amazon business. You don't yeah there's only one person in the world with an amazon business and if you think you have an amazon business then you're on your way to failure because what you need to think is you have a business and amazon is our sales channel
0: so true it's good and then there'd be a lot of uh, work i'm sure in uh, cleaning up finances and, and getting oh, yeah. that all in order i'm sure you yeah, see a lot but- of uh, businesses in a bit of a state <laughs>
1: Yeah, and that's one of the things that sets us apart, really, is that we so you know, when I used the broker, I used the guy had like an arts degree and didn't know, you didn't know the first thing about accounts, whereas Allison is a chartered accountant of multiple years experience and owns an accountancy firm. So we're able to take books that are in pretty poor shape and really tidy them up and get them in in excellent shape. Uh, Mm -hmm. At the same time, we often discover multiple uh, ways to boost the value of the business that the seller hadn't thought about. And this makes the business much more presentable when it comes to a buyer, because mm. what the buyers want when they send you that cold email, which they will saying, Hey, we saw your business on Amazon. We loved it. Can, uh, send us your P and L sheet. They want your books to be in terrible condition and they want you to not understand how they work. Cause then they can just pull mm. the wool over your eyes and mm. say, your business is worth 300 grand. We'll give you a hundred. Now we might give you 200 over the next two years when actually mm. your business is worth like a million. Yeah if only you'd gone through the right process.
0: Do you, do you see any cash deals at the moment or is it all uh, have an earn out component?
1: There are there are 100% upfront deals. Uh, it's it's a bit rarer. Um, but really, you know, in a competitive environment having gone through the right process, you will get between usually between 65, 70 and 90% cash upfront at closing. Mm-hmm. And then there'll be usually a holdback. And so when you work with the right broker and with the right legal representative, all this stuff is negotiable. And the first deal that you'll be presented with is awful and skewed entirely in their favor. And it goes right back covered in red Microsoft Word track changes to bring everything back to where you want it. But there will still usually be some sort of holdback, a guaranteed holdback of, uh, say, 10% between six and 12 months later um known as a stability payment it's a a new thing that aggregators invented it didn't exist uh, before them it's just a way for them to hold back a portion of the price often so that they can guarantee that you're going to hand over the business smoothly and then there's earn out targets usually for two years um or one uh sometimes paid on a quarterly basis but more often on an annual basis and it's basically saying look if the business achieves xyz income we'll pay you x and you know all this needs to be negotiated so that these are realistic targets that could actually be hit. and But the deal needs to be structured so that it protects the seller, so that if they miss an earnout target, whether it's by 10 grand or 100 grand or 10 pounds, 10 dollars, you're not going to miss out on a huge earn target. So, okay, they missed this one, but you would have got a quarter of a million, but now you're going to get 200,000. Or you didn't get that, but now you get 150. And you yeah. need more clauses in there, like, you know, if the aggregator runs out of inventory for more than, say, a week in a 30-day period mm-hmm. you still need to get your earn out because half past four on a friday afternoon bob in supply chain doesn't care about your earn out but mm. you do and yeah. so that's why you know you need to negotiate read-only access to anywhere they're selling your brand as well so you could flag issues up and you can say oh guys did did anyone think about this if you don't do this then we're going to run out of inventory in six know, three months or six months or whatever it is so you know, all this stuff is important and that's what, what happens when you get the deal structure thrashed out properly with the right mm. uh, representation. Otherwise, you're just yeah. gonna get screwed.
0: Yeah, and that's a great shout to be fair in terms of um, inventory stock outs being a part of the, the, the deal and I literally had never even considered that, but you're right, it's a massive, massive issue for that. So-
1: Yeah, really, really um, important.
0: Reason in itself to, to get a broker, hey?
1: Yeah, I mean, what, so there are good brokers and bad brokers. A good broker, the work that they do on, analyzing your business to maximize the value of it through the right adjustments and add backs. And that's a whole other session. Yeah, the work that they do to uh, market the business to the right buyers. And then the work that they do in partnership with a legal rep to get the deal right for you should be worth multiple times over whatever you pay them. They have to yeah. do the work, right. And there are lazy brokers who will just kind of slap your business on their website, like the eBay of businesses, and let it gather dust, <laughs> or they will Here's one. There are these newfangled brokers slash mergers and acquisitions uh, consultants who will get you in the door by saying, oh, we only charge 4 or 5% commission. It's really low. And you think, oh, wow, that's amazing. And the, so the way they make the money is because they can't be doing much work if they're only charging 4 or 5%. So the way they make the money is this. They basically do no work. They just send an email to a list of 100 potential buyers saying, hey, here's Ben's business and when you sell it to one of them you pay them the four or five percent you said you pay them and unbeknownst to you they've taken a 50 60 70 80 grand kickback off the buyer and what even worse not only have you ended up with a pretty crap deal that kickback that they got came out of the pot of money that would have gone to you wow, because yeah. that money has to come from somewhere yeah. right and that's where it comes from yeah so there's a lot yeah. of dodgy stuff going on in this space. And it's because it's so immature, we're in a new wild west for mm. selling and buying e-commerce businesses. And so yeah. when all these aggregators that I said die, die, and more mature players come in, things are going to get cleaned up and it'll be a lot better.
0: Yeah, no, that's good. It's good to know. My uh, my final question for you was going to be, uh, what would you say to someone that doesn't want to pay the fees for a broker. But I think you pretty much answered that in that last, uh, last. Yeah.
1: I I would say, look, you're a smart person. You pay your PPC agent, you pay your translator, you pay your photographer, you pay your lawyer, you pay for experts in every aspect of your business. And that when it comes to your most valuable asset, your business itself, the the idea that you would say, I'm not going to pay a mechanic. I'm going to try and fix the car's engine myself is just bonkers. Mm. So, uh, don't do it, right? If you're smart, <laughs> yeah. I don't need to convince you of that, right? Yeah. It, it's, it's just, yeah. And we see all the time, we have people, smart people come to us saying, hey, I actually got an offer from aggregator ABC. Here it is. And we'll go and do some analysis and come back and say, that offer is derisory. Uh, mm-hmm. And then sell the business to the same organization who made the original <laughs> offer for what it's really worth. And the organization isn't, the, the aggregator who would have bought it for the low offer isn't even that pissed off about it. Because they can afford to buy the business for what it's worth. Yeah, they want to try and get it off you for nothing with a crap deal for you. But think about it this way. The moment they buy your business, it's worth three, four, five, six, seven times more because they've rolled it into their portfolio. Like literally the moment they buy it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So they're quite happy to pay what it's really worth. And we've made their life easier too by getting your business in good shape so it can be absorbed straight away into their systems. And we made Bob in acquisitions look good to his board of investors when he presented the business to them. So aggregators actually do like us, and sellers mm-hmm. like us even more because we get them the best possible deal and and save a lot of heartache and get them six or even seven figures more than what they would have done.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's like you know if you're going to use a sourcing agent, um, you know you're going to hope that they're going to save you more on the negotiation with a supplier. It's, it's no different, is it? It's going to you know, you're going to pay out some money, but is it's a return on investment there, isn't there? So. That's really good, really good. And uh, where can people find out a bit more about Econ Brokers, Ben, if they're looking to sell in the next, you know, 6, 12 months or whenever that's online, maybe?
1: We're econbrokers.co.uk. It's a UK domain, but we're working globally. Um, You can email me, ben, at econbrokers.co.uk. I'm on LinkedIn. Uh, Just search for me, Ben Leonard, on LinkedIn. And um, no hard sell. We're we're here to help people. So if we're not the right people to help you, we'll point you in the right direction. And... um, I love chatting e-commerce, so get in touch.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, and you're working with one of our um, brand Builder university members to um, potentially sell their business in the in the future. So we're excited to you know see how that all goes, and um, you know and uh, you know follow the journey a bit more. So it's uh, exciting times.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep. It's an exciting thanks, space. Uh, thanks in. for
0: coming on, Ben. Really appreciate all your insight, and uh, I've, I could ask you questions about this all day, but I, I know you've got other stuff to do. So uh, no, thanks for coming on. Really appreciate it. Yeah,
1: pleasure. Thanks for having me.
0: Well, what an episode that was with Ben Leonard. Definitely check out econbrokers.co.uk to find out more about him and them, what they do if you're thinking about selling in the not too distant future. And even if you're not, just to get an idea about the whole exiting space and what it really means, the potential of it. This right here is the big opportunity, the big play for e commerce sellers in the next few years is to build something that is sellable. So make sure you draw on all the resources available to you. Get in touch with Ben, get in touch with econ brokers learn from them follow their journey and uh, you too can go on this journey of building a brand that you can one day sell for a life-changing amount of money if you've enjoyed the episode please don't forget to leave a review on the podcast app you're listening on or if you're watching on youtube hit that thumbs up make sure you're subscribed
1: and i'll see you in the next episode real soon